Good evening and welcome to this very special episode of Three and a Half Gentlemen. It's a special episode for a couple of reasons. Number one, because it's a movie from the 1960s, which is clearly my cup of tea. Second, because it's an Alfred Hitchcock. I don't know what to say, Jeremy. What do you want me to fucking that's say? Just, that's perfect. Let's just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at this. Oh, look at this. <laughs> Can I try this again? Because it's not working. Can we try it again? Should we start over? Yeah, this is six minutes. Seven, I feel six, like we need to start over because I'm I I need I'm in better headspace okay, now. Go ahead, start over. Are you really? No. I'm laughing. Who took my paper? <laughs> oh my god, we are hot mic here. Hot mic, got a hot mic. Hello and welcome to Three and a Half Gentlemen, the podcast where three of the four hosts provide a refined and intellectual analysis of movies from our private collections, and Brandon, who won't start the timer on time, and I guess who tries to keep up. We'll decide which host is which. But for now, my name is Sean, and with me, as always, are my co-hosts Jeremiah. Well, hello there, Eddie. What's going on? And tonight, of course, we welcome back Brandon, our very special guest. Well, hey guys, oh, Brandon, good to be back. Thank you, thank you, Brandon. No, With thank you. every review, we tell you how many drinks it takes to get through each movie selection. At the end of the podcast, we'll rate the movie based on a scale of zero to five. Zero being that it is perfect film and you can watch it stone cold sober, and five being that it's a terrible film and you must be blackout drunk to enjoy. In addition to our review, we pair our selection with a cocktail that we hope will enhance the viewing experience. We invite you now to shake, stir, or stab the cocktail we've chosen. <laughs> And settle in for what we hope will be an engaging review. For legal reasons, we don't condone or encourage anyone under the age of 21 to drink along with us. And of course, because we live in a ridiculous society where people are stupid. 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 Dum-dums. We must ask you please not to drink and drive if you're listening to us in the car. Jeremy, what movie are we going to review tonight? Tonight, we have the masterpiece of Alfred Hitchcock, the 1960 American psychological horror classic, Psycho. The film stars creepy Anthony Perkins, Janet Lee, oh, Janet Lee, and Vera? Vera? Mills. Mills. Thank I want to you. say Miles in here. Psycho follows a, fuck, I'm, I'm fucking up now. Psycho follows a Phoenix secretary, Marion Crane Lee, who steals a sum of money from her boss and tries to disappear. She ends up at a secluded motel after falling asleep behind the wheel on a dark and rainy night. At the hotel, she meets taxidermy enthusiast and creepy milk drinker Norman Bates, and the horror ensues. I don't think he was that creepy. He was Uh, drinking a lot of milk. Eddie, tell us about the cocktail. Yeah, as we mentioned, with each movie, we try to pair the tone, feel, and overall impact of the story with a cocktail. For instance, when we watch a Bond movie, we pair it with a vodka martini, shaken not stirred, with a lemon pill. Sometimes the drink will be referenced directly in the film, and other times the, dr- the drink will simply be inspired by the film. Tonight, since Sean is the one who chose the film, he's in charge of the cocktail. Sean, I know this is your baby here, so let's. what was it? So tonight's cocktail is a Brandy Alexander. This is the quintessential 1960s cocktail, and it became very popular uh, for beautiful leading ladies. Plus, with its dark red appearance, it looks like blood floating in a classic tapered coupe. Tonight, I pulled out special coupes, so we were drinking from glasses my grandmother got for her wedding. It was in 1960, but 54 is close enough. Uh, to make this cocktail, you need cognac, dark cacao, cacao. <laughs> cacao liqueur, <laughs> which is like a, uh, like a just a chocolate, dark chocolate liqueur, dark chocolate. Uh, cream, and a sprinkle of nutmeg. I like the nutmeg, actually. Uh, it gives it an effervescence. This cocktail should be ser- served shaken in a coupe glass, uh, particularly if you're drinking some of our cocktails. I know we, we bring out some pretty cool uh, glasses, and I have a very big glass collection, so don't feel uh, inadequate when you don't have 1920s coupes. We still want you to drink along with us uh so for a complete <laughs> recipe please visit our website at thegentlemanpodcast.com so to give you guys a little background on our selection process for this first season we're going to be reviewing movies that are important to each one of us 
These are the movies that we feel have in some way shaped how stories have been told throughout time and even how they're going to be told in the future on screen. So we won't be talking about the movie straight through. Instead, we'll let our conversations flow naturally. That said, we'll be touching on different film aspects, including plot, characters, direction, music, cinematography, and anything else that might come up. Really? We've been doing this the whole time? I yep. never knew I've been doing that. The literally entire time. I'm, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> Sean, so this is your first choice in a long time. Uh, I know. I'm it sorry. Like it's Baby. the first choice since North by Northwest. I'm sorry, too, actually. I was here for that one. I know you were. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe that my score was not too high for that one. Let's I'm see how your things score change. is a little better for this one. So yeah. as, uh, as, as, as Brandon pointed out in the North by North podcast... North by Northwest podcast. Uh, my cup of tea is any movie before 1970. Really, I love old movies. Yeah, I love old movies. Uh, so this, to me, is the quintessential Alfred Hitchcock horror classic. I mean, this movie mm. set up so many other horror movies that we'll review. It is the grandfather of slasher films. I'm not going to lie. This was my first time watching it. Oh, no shit. Whoa, yeah, so you never I, seen I, this? Uh, nope. I'm kind Were of you as disappointed as I was in the fourth uh, time? No, you, you know what? <laughs> you watch a movie that's old and appreciate a little I, bit of it, please. I literally was just looking it up. 1954, Rear Window. You watch it again. You'll be love. I've watched it four times. Shut it's up. so good. Let's start by it's talking so about the good. titles because the title okay. sequences. Okay, Psycho. Are He's amazing. psychotic. There's the title. <laughs> Eddie, this is your first time watching it. Yes. So I, I mean, it's not my first time hearing about it though. So I have. I'm really, really aware of. Well, I'm a little bit buzzed. I'm really aware of <laughs> the scenes that are really like, uh, you know, like everyone knows about these scenes of getting. <laughs> like, so I was like, the whole time I was just like waiting for that part. <laughs> so I was a little. I'm not going to lie though, I was prepared to watch this movie. Like almost like oh my god okay here it goes I have to watch this movie yeah oh one more yeah. of Sean's okay, terrible yeah picks. I was really thinking that. <laughs> in my head I even thought I'm, I even brought out two beers I'm yeah. bringing out two beers here <laughs> let's see and I was actually really, I surprised me a little bit so I, I well, can't wait to, to hear it I so, love I love the music at the beginning of the well, song Bernard Herman man oh man Herman's wow. the best but what I love about it is it's almost like a precap that's uh, that's what I've, I'm dubbing it is is a precap of what's to come in the movie you kind of get the whole spectrum of the music of the movie in the first five minutes of the movie. You get the spectrum, but also the credits and the movement of the credits and the way that they're kind of cut in two and they kind of race off screen, which, I mean, 1960 was still new with it was the cool. whole uh, credit movement. And I know we talked about this with North by Northwest. Also, with the opening was really cinematic and it kind of reminds me of of, um, of uh, oh God, David Fincher and yeah. the way that he uses credits nowadays to kind of set up his movie. I feel like Hitchcock was really the... The precursor the to that, yeah, the pioneer for that, with uh, well, at least with North by Northwest and Psycho, and I think that it really works with the music too. I don't think it worked as well in North by Northwest as it does here. I think it works really? better here. It looked clean. It did look cleaner. It looked new. It looked. Yeah. Fr- I don't know how you guys watch this, but I have like the ultra HD version. This movie could have been mm-hmm. shot yesterday. So I think, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, this was the movie that followed North by Northwest it is. in, in Alfred Hitchcock's. Correct. Correct. Uh, well, and, and to give you a little perspective, the budget on this was only $800,000. No way. Yeah, so yeah, it, right. We're talking about, and well, that's the next thing I want to really talk about is black and white. Did it help? Did it hurt? Is it, I mean, this is the first black and white movie we've done and probably the only black and white movie we'll do for a long time. Well, I say 100% helped. And I know that in 1998, uh, Gus Van Zandt, who I, I'm a huge Gus Van Zandt fan. Um, for you the talking about filmmakers. the Did like a shot by remake, shot remake? Which I'm a huge Gus Van Zandt fan. Not a fan of that movie. Uh, that was I mean, bad. I guess we can tip our cap to it. But, but when we added the color and then we added Vince Vaughn, we really, really lost a whole lot of stuff. So what I think is uh, the black and white was definitely something that we re- re- helped. 100% helped. I think it's an iconic score, man. Seriously, hands down. I mean, it sets up the movie right off the start, you know, and I love that even Hitchcock said it was like the supporting actor of it when you think about it. Even Hitchcock said 30% of the effect of Psycho has to do due well, to he the music. Well, he doubled Herman's score. So basically, uh, when he got the cut back of the movie, he was so impressed with the music, he doubled the composer's score. I, from my understanding, he didn't even like, he didn't have some of the scenes he that had like music. It. Right. He didn't. Well, the, the shower scene, which we're going to yeah, get to, right. didn't have music, and he... Uh, I read, and I'm sure that we all read the same thing, well, said that uh, 
sponsor us. Um, anyway, uh, IMDb, yeah, yeah, they, they were mentioning how he was going to s- release this as a, as a straight to, to TV, and it was going to be a TV movie, and it wasn't going to be a feature film. And here it becomes his staple. I film. almost think it's his. It's it's the one movie that people know is Hitchcock. This is the one movie that I think feels Hitchcock. That is Hitchcock. So if you look like Brandon was saying, like what, the first time you look at IMDb, you just type in Alfred Hitchcock, and the first movie you see is Psycho. Right. So it it is. And Alfred then Hitchcock. And then it Birds? What comes after that? Uh, Psycho oh, Vertigo. Vertigo. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Brandy, come on. This is probably like, you know, you're, you're all about indie films and whatnot. I am, I mean, yes. this is kind of also the godfather is, of indie films you know when you what? think about it, man. I really like how you say that. And, and I think it is because, I mean, he, he shot for an under million dollar budget. Yeah, was which was huge in 1960. Achieved it, yeah, yeah. So let's let's get in and and look at the first scene of the movie, which is this panoramic shot of Phoenix. And once again, and we talked about it with North by Northwest, the fact that you can get a shot like this in 1960 is it's it's. This is a big shot. It's a big shot. You're, yeah. You get the whole city of Phoenix in this shot, and you're going into this window, and you're looking in a window that is the drapes are purposefully drawn, but there's a little crack, and you're going in. I think the voyeuristic nature of his the the, the whole way this movie is shot is exemplified in the first forty seconds. You you feel like you're looking in on someone's private deeds. Pretty much is like the whole aspect of the film when you think about it, man. And that's, I, I haven't seen Rear Window in a long time. I need to revisit that one. But I feel like the fact that he's using his camera to look into what Marion Crane is doing with Sam at the very beginning of the movie is, it sets up a tone that I think is carried on throughout the whole movie. Dude, Sam, so, Sam was ripped. Lie. Yeah, he Sam, is a good looking man there. Yeah, 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 Sam, I thought Sam's pretty built second, I thought that was Steve Martin for some particular reason. Oh, I could see that. You look like a Steve Martin. In the 14 minutes that Steve Martin didn't have white hair? <laughs> <laughs> was this like actually Hitchcock's first horror film? Technically, yeah. yeah. I, I think mean, you could say, I mean, but those are suspenseful. Yeah, I guess he was well, the master of suspense. And Shauna, this was his the first fine line between horror. suspense and, and horror. I mean, this would, this would, yeah, this one toes the line of suspense, though. Like, for sure, thriller. Uh, Is it a thriller or I mean, slasher? It's a thriller or slasher or yeah. horror well, to film. Me, oh, we'll get into it, but this movie was the uh, first movie that introduced the idea of. A serial killer. Well, not only a serial killer, but a villain that was inside mankind and not outside mankind. So we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. Ooh, don't uh, give it away. Don't say, give it oh, away. I don't want to give away my conclusion. Let's talk about Janet Lee. Janet Lee. Amazing. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. His mother. mother. Yeah. So she's, uh, you know, we talked about, well, I don't know if we talked about that previously on another podcast, but she's uh, horror movie royalty. Janet Lee. She was the original Scream Queen. Right. Janet Lee? Ja- no, yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis. So Janet Lee was kind of the original... Scream Queen. Oh, Scream... Okay, that's, that's what I'm saying. saying. I'm sorry. And then, you know, Halloween comes out. They knew that, hey, that's actually, you know, Janet Lee's daughter. So Pass the torch. So anyway, okay. we got, uh, got Marion Crane and Sam Lewis having a nooner. Uh, in 1960, which I think was a little bit of a afternoon delight. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was right. but, uh, what I like about this movie, and maybe this is definitely the indie quality coming through, like Jeremy mentioned, is that it broke a lot of barriers. It was the first, I mean, we could call it slasher film. It was the first movie that really kind of highlighted this idea of, of a, uh, infidelity. You exactly. Know? That, yes. that, that was the okay, driving so that's purpose. My question, but the other I, thing, and I don't want to lose this one because I, I tell I'm my sorry, students this all the time. This is the first movie that a toilet is flushed that is in true. history. And I am so proud of that one. And, and, and did anyone else notice? Well, I know it's 1960. It's progressive. It's wild. But her bra, her her bra was beautiful. Like the way she looked in her slip and bra in, in, in the nooner, she was all dressed in white with her little, I mean, she was mm. a size negative 15. Um, it was very angelic it, the way it, how it was, actually. Right. Yeah. It, it just, she looked like a goddess. She looked Beautiful. I was to say that's probably a big deal too. So they didn't have that, that in yeah, too many exactly. movies. That how instantly well, you I saw felt like some there was skin. More skin, yeah, more yeah. skin for sure. Just jumping a little ahead is that there was some type of like difference regarding to the white bra that she had. It was very angelic and everything like that. And you notice when she was about to steal the money, you know, and actually she was wearing a black bra, which actually kind of did something like knew that she was doing something evil and wrong and everything. So one of the things yeah. also, if you notice that the black bra is crossed against her back and the white bra is clasped. It's just, these are the, this is wow. the shit that I noticed I d- because I am yeah, a yeah. weird costume person. Well, because if you, you notice it. all the costumes in this movie, like, so it's 1960, right? So 1950s, you had a very formal look. 1960s, you started getting into like you some. You the counterculture kind of yeah. almost coming through. But like when she put on her shirt, quote unquote shirt, it ended up being a dress and it had like this 
belt in between it and everything was super sleek super uh skinny defining of your physique like she her her physique was really important you know what's funny is that style i feel like it's coming back right now i think I it like is. that I style think. is really you can see I, those one pieces with a belt across mm-hmm. and it's like almost like a just a relaxed i mean rompers style. and a onesies romper, are, yeah. are very i mean not onesie yeah. like a yeah um, so one of the things that I, I wanted to kind of remark is that she was, I, I didn't understand the relationship because you said something about infidelity. I don't think Sam was married. He was divorced. She wasn't no, married. No, no. no, but they She's were both married. not. He's not married. married. He's married. But he said he has an ex-wife with alimony. Yeah. Like he, but oh. it hasn't actually like it hasn't settled. Official. Be official. Okay. She's, so I she's think single. Scandal- I got the idea it was scandalous, but understandably scandalous like not yeah you know not like a full-on affair but more he shouldn't be doing it but right it still makes sense especially back in that time i imagine that was a big deal actually so and I mean, and i wondered so i no? i've watched this movie probably literally a hundred times one time i, I love this movie. first time one of the things that i loved is I, I wondered why this scene was there, why, why, why they're having a nooner, why they're doing this thing. <laughs> and it's to establish the fact that Sam has debt. That's literally the only purpose for it. And that's the whole impetus of her stealing the money. So you've got uh, kind of uh, one of the things I, I wrote, remarked in my, in my notes is the $40,000 she steals is worth about $340,000 today. That's a shit ton of money. That's what's Chunk holding. That's what's holding Sam back from actually making that move with uh, was it uh, Marion K- Crane? Marion, right? Right. Was the fact that he was he doesn't kind wanna, of beholden to his ex and yeah. Like, well, how am I going to take care of you when I work behind a in the back of a shop? And know? then you see like the next scene that there's that opportunity that comes about. You know, regarding to like you know, here's forty thousand dollars. You know. Well, yeah, and d- you've got yeah her boss at the so she gets back from the nooner. Um, the her creep, boss, the creep too, dude. Well, like, he was a freaking oh, creep and a half. Yeah, yeah and the boss is kind Fuck. of a, a dick for like not really. Ni- no, the boss seems like a nice guy. You gotta stop that. All right, you're right. You're absolutely right. But I do think that the boss was a little bit more respectful than this, you know, guy brandishing his forty thousand dollars. I never carry more than I can afford to lose. Like, well, you just lost forty grand. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things that I didn't like is there was some inconsistency. Hitchcock is notorious for creating this atmosphere, and okay, so he said it in Phoenix, Arizona, probably because the book was set in Phoenix, Arizona. It was December. So the argument like that the uh, the guy makes, I don't know what's his name, who came in with the 40 grand, was like, oh, your boss has an air condition in the lobby for you. Has anyone been to Arizona in December? It's freezing. It's totally freezing. You wouldn't need air conditioning in the entry, in the, in the yeah. lobby of this place. And they did it twice, and it just didn't feel genuine. It's like all of a sudden you have, you're, you're setting it in Arizona, so it's all of a sudden hot, and you're just writing into the script because you expect it to be there. And that was a, I know that's a minor criticism, but that's a looking pretty big it, continuity error. Looking at it now, it's like, yeah, it's like Arizona's not hot in December, so why, 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 why they make it seem like it's they're hot in September? And something else, I that, mean, December. Yeah, something else that gets me too is the drive takes her longer than I would think it would maybe <laughs> it take her. So- I've been to Phoenix. Uh, <laughs> I mean, in case you don't know. We're in Southern California. <laughs> uh, I've driven. I've driven to Phoenix and a whole lot, I mean, a bunch of times, and that takes it's a four-hour drive. Now, even if it was Northern California, we're looking at twelve hours. She's not sleeping over two times. No, not even close. <laughs> you know, yeah, she, she falls asleep in the car, and then, well, then she's only fifteen miles from her. She is only fifteen miles. Why would you not just, that, where is Why it? would you stop? Is it know. in Alaska? The same like, literally. Because of the rain in California, bro. And then as soon as it stopped, you lived in California. I hear the rain, but let's let's be honest. And I think Eddie, you're, you're agreeing with me on this one for sure. Is that if I hear, oh, I'm only 15 minutes away, I'm braving the rain. I'm pushing exactly. it. And pushing forward. I say, oh, thanks for nice, nothing, Mr. Weird so one of the things guy. about this movie that I think uh, has to be asked, how much would you do this for? Right? $40,000. So, yeah. No, no, not forty. Oh, grand. sorry. No. $318,000 or whatever? No, let's say it was three hundred. No, what? At what point would you take the money and run? Well, I mean, in in today's uh, cyber technology uh, state, none. I mean, there's no, there's no pussy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> twenty bucks, twenty bucks. I would break the law for twenty bucks. <laughs> Eddie, Jesus. what would be your amount that you would pick up your family and take them to, like, you know, like a different ex- non extradition country? Wow, um, it depends on the scenario. I can't just actually say that because I'm looking right now actually for stability. Mine's forty million. Just so you know, forty or four. Forty. 
For forty million dollars, I will f- I will flee the country. I don't I think that's hundred thousand. I can disappear. That's you'll never know. No, yeah, no, no. exactly. You would disappear. No, I, I can disappear. I can disappear. He would disappear. I would actually, Sean. Watch me. He would disappear. Here we go. He would actually disappear. Shoot! If I gave him a hundred bucks, I've been. He would, <laughs> we would not have uh, next week on. All right. All right. No, I I can't give you a number. Okay, it's too so, hard. So, I agree. So one of the things about this movie, I think they they did better than. Um, North by Northwest was the driving. I, I still thought it was <laughs> 1950s, 1960s. I mean, look at that blue screen behind them. It, it's, I, it's adorable. I had a, a, sorry, I jumped in there. No, I'm just saying it's adorable. I felt like, was she a little psycho? With the little, I don't like, know, man. The, she liked like, what she was doing. I tell you that much. I mean, when she was actually like, you know, hearing what was going on, what her yeah, thoughts. That's what was. made me feel like she's she was, like smirking she's through, about it. She's going through her own little, uh, her own uh, demons inside her head, and she's like thinking up stuff in her head this is what possibly is this what they're saying or is this what i'm thinking Ooh, i've uh, got I've i got, sort of like that I, filmic technique i feel though. like she's she's part psycho well it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because i did make note of that in my um in my notes is what are these these over or these voiceovers i mean i think we get them at two or three times throughout the movie i think at least twice yeah, yeah at least twice and each time i literally am sitting there going well is are these her internal thoughts of what could be being said or are these I think, only she had it. I think it's a combination of both. And only she some had of it. them are repeated lines from what people have said and then how they'll react to what she's done. I think it's both. Because she relives, or, or no, doesn't relive, she thinks forward to what they will say when they realize that she hasn't shown up to work tomorrow, right. blah, blah, blah. So in that case, like Eddie's saying, is that her thoughts of what will be said or is this just for the benefit of the viewer? Yeah. And I think part it's part, part and parcel. I think it's half and half. I think it's... Some of it is a recap to show the audience, and some of it is to show her. I wish the story man. kind of gave me that. I feel like it didn't it give did. that to me. It did. It didn't. It did. I had no idea. There was actually voiceover. I had no idea. There was actually voiceover. No, I had no idea. There was actually voiceover during the fucking scene. I had, it's not like it. There was voiceover during the scene. The story did not tell you if it was no. from her mental okay. state or if it was actually for the audience. It doesn't matter. You got the I information. I agree with Eddie. And if you're if you're to suggest that you don't know what happened in this movie... I direct you to the end and the literal summation just, by the psychiatrist. Well, after another week, who the fuck is Pennywise? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, right? Cheers, guys. I'm just thinking oh, like, God like she's like it. thinking what the boss is going to say. And we don't know. I was like, is this boss really saying this or is the boss not saying it? I well, wish no, the, I boss wish the story was really not saying it. So who is our title character is what you're saying? Is well, she the psycho or is it Norman Bates? Yes. Or maybe it, she's imagining it, Norman Bates oh, or maybe like she is one. Norman like Bates. That. Let's talk like about that. that for a minute. Let's talk about that. You have Janet Lee who's billed as the star of the movie, right? She was the star. Anthony Perkins was clearly, well, well, not clearly. Maybe people didn't know because they weren't you know, around in 1960. He was not known as a big actor. So you had Janet Lee as the star of the movie and dies halfway through the movie. Not actually expecting that. No, nobody was expecting that. The, the idea, that's why this movie broke a bunch of molds is because all of a sudden you had the lead character who you spent, you know, we talked about North Bend Northwest, we talked about with a bunch of other movies, is that Hitchcock has this weird tradition of having like two movies. Like one movie where you're getting to something and then finishes it off with something completely different. And this was quintessential Hitchcock. You had the first half of the movie where you're like, oh, Marion, what are you going to do? And then you finally decide to go back to Arizona, and then you get dabbed in the shower. <laughs> I mean, pretty much, it, Scream took a lot of element from that part right there. You know that, what I was saying? Was like, you know, when Drew Barrymore, you're like, you know, a few weeks ago we were talking about that. We are like, what? You know, well, there you have it. This movie broke down that wall so many ways regarding to just violence and even like sexuality and everything like that, erotica and everything. I mean, it, it just really went to a different level. It changed the perspective yeah. of the audience. Uh, can, and- we, can we talk about the, the to, I'm still talking about her, how she, she fell asleep on the side of the road. And then the cop pulled up behind her. That, that damn cop. That cop was creepy, bro. Does anybody think that cop looks like Clancy Brown? The one who actually played yeah. in the remake? Yeah, of, no. I, I, oh, I don't know. I, I've never I, seen uh, it. you never seen it? Because Clancy Brown played Clancy that Brown. role. Did he really? I swear to you, he played okay, that role. So my so, problem totally. is I've never seen this remake because I heard it was a shot-for-shot shot remake. And why are you going to see a remake when you can see the original? Why not? That's actually why Gus Van Sant said his, his answer was, well, why not? So you said something earlier that kind of bugged me, which was Vince Vaughn was Norman Bates. Vince Vaughn is an incredible actor. If you have you ever seen Domestic Disturbance? No, I haven't. So you need to watch that I movie because he is creepy. He 
I wish he would have been. I, I've never not well, seen here, the remake, but he was incredibly creepy. Well, in here's movie. the reason I don't like Vince Vaughn is because he's an imposing person. He's six five, six six in real life. And so are we you. Have, Keep going. No, so he's six. You, uh, he's he, Brandon. <laughs> don't is, you do it, Sean. Brandon is six. Don't four. you do it, Sean. And Anthony Perkins, even though he may be tall, and I'm going to forget you said that I'm six six. <laughs> um, Anthony Perkins, he's this slender, twiggy guy. He, he there's nothing imposing about him. There's nothing terrifying uh, about him. I kind of tend to agree. He's, yeah, I, I agree with you 100 on that. He's the quintessential mm-hmm. little timid. We don't expect awkward, anything from yeah. him. Yeah. So I, I, I just. Um, I don't know Vince Vaughn. I mean Anne Hesh 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 was the uh, Janet Lee. Oh yeah, she was yeah. a Janet Lee character. So, um, but oh yeah, I, I know I have also mentioned that question in my notes. Is what is the deal with the cop? Is it just suspense for suspense's sake, or is there really something more driving that cop and his presence of of watching? So her? you're talking about when Marion goes to trade in her car trade for her cash car and, and they get a new car and yeah. yeah. So she's trying to cover her tracks, which, by the way, she is the worst person on the run that there is possible to be. Totally. But we're just going to ignore that. But the cop, I think, was... I feel like the cop was this connection to her fears, right? So you've got this cop who keeps showing up, who follows her to the lot. Like, what the fuck are you doing, cop? Like, you, you've already pulled her over, or you didn't actually pull yeah, her over. You found her on now. the side of the road. Yeah. And now you're going to follow her, and then you're going to do something else, like like just keep his, watching her? His intuition was right. Something was up. See, I'm wondering if it was intuition or if it was that she he found her sexually appealing. The theme of this movie is voyeurism. So if, if he was just infatuated by her because she was so beautiful and just kept following her, was that the reason, or was it because she did something wrong? Or, I mean, I'm going to push this a whole, whole lot further. If we go with Eddie's reading of it, and this is all kind of manifested in her mind that it's all kind of her deepest fears coming true. Then maybe she is imagining. Then he would be there simply the to help her, make sure she's okay. Right, and she, and she sees him as just simply a threat. Right, now, like you said, she yes. she plays it so. So incorrect. he would be a vulner. He would be looking at a vulnerable woman driving on the side of the road, just making asleep, sure she's cool, just making sure she gets to her next town. Yeah, and yeah. so instead of him glaring at her from across the road, he's really he's making there. Sure. Yeah, being a I good like guy. That. Yeah, me too. So a Joe, that's a that's a great. Well, you said idea. it. Thank you. I didn't know. I said so that. I know we keep bringing up the 1998. I think it was 98. 98. It's right before the good year of movies. Psycho, but uh, one of the great uh, remakes, or let's say accoutrement uh, uh, to this story, is Bates Motel. I don't know if you've ever seen Bates Motel. I saw the first two seasons of it. Loved it. Oh, it's I just a great haven't show. got a chance to finish yeah, it. It's a great show, and it, it really goes into depth about the mother son relationship. And, yeah, but. Of all the things in the world that I think, uh, Freddie Highmore is one of my favorite actors um, of his generation. He plays Norman Bates really good, yeah, so well. It's a really almost good series, too yeah. well, like almost to the point where you're like, are you, are you Norman Bates? Norman Bates was my favorite actor, Anthony Perkins in this movie. I mean, I, I can see how he, he definitely yeah, he made the movie. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. his whole scene and the whole idea of him, just that scene where she came into town and. She's honking the horn, and he's up there at his house. Crazy house, by the way. I bet, Sean, did you like the house? Oh, amazing house. Uh, if you notice that the, the uh, porch on that house is exactly the same design as my porch. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. I like, I <laughs> love, are we supposed so to care? Try and sleep tonight. Thank you very much. <laughs> this movie had a lot of good shadows. I felt like there was a lot of shadows everywhere, which made it mysterious. And cinematography like, was fucking amazing. Yeah. The ci- not only was the cinematography, I noticed this time, so I, I really watched it this time, which I don't like to do because this is one of my favorite movies, but it was a silent fucking movie. There was not a lot of dialogue. There was not a lot of anything. It was a lot of her looks and feelings and driving, and it just felt like... It felt realistic. I don't. I don't know. Probably not. To Wait, you, no, no. I did, and and I know we're gonna get to it. But my favorite part of this whole movie is the conversation he has with, um, with Janet Lee's character, Marion Crane. Marion Crane in, no, the Crane in the back room. Bates and Crane in the back room. And I do have in a, the parlor. And I've got a question about uh, the parlor scene with you guys. I do really, really want to see it, what what you guys have to say with it. So we'll get there eventually. Well, I think we're there now. Okay. If you want to ask? In it. that case, um, my question is. Do you guys think that he would have killed her if she didn't suggest that his mom might really kind of deserve a place in the madhouse? No, I actually love the scene between Janet and uh, and Anthony, actually, because it sets everything what to come. It's a friendly conversation, but but then it, there's kind of like this 
seductive like you Intimacy. know yeah like it's almost like she is kind of attracted to him there is you and know well it's, it's almost like she's flirting with him and then there's a clear to me there's a clear transition when she mentions that madhouse scene and yes it's like he flips on her just a you little bit see it and just like yeah. just a little small it's like small details you know and then she kind of sticks back you know and she kind of yeah. like you know oh i'm sorry i didn't mean to actually, you know. See, I I didn't read it that way. I read it like it was they were genuinely intimate with each other. They were starting to talk on a level that both of them understood. That okay, he got defensive when she started attacking the mom, but that's not why he killed her. No, I, he killed her because or he, mom mother killed Marion Crane oh, simply because but, Bates fell in love. Maybe not total head over heels like I want to marry you and go home. She was a, she was a, she was a threat. Maybe lust. I think that's a better word. Lust. But just he was infatuated by this woman, and that is the reason. It wasn't because she said, "Eh, send your mom to the loon, send your mom to the madhouse." It was more his relationship with her, not her suggestion that mom mo- mother was. Then bad. how many people do you think that he has See, killed? That's a great question because he is a terrible liar. He is the world's He's worst fucking liar. liar in the world. Yeah. So I'm. So at the end of the movie, we get an answer that there's two other missing girls. I tend to think this was his first one. It would seem like it because he bungles it pretty bad. Horribly. Yeah. Uh, I think the mom killed people. I have a feeling that the mom killed people. But the mom mom was dead. No. (laughs) But back in in her life. Back back in in her her life. life. Yeah. So so that's kind of what the show embraces is the fact that the mom is crazy. Yeah. The 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 girl who plays her, she's wonderful. Vera Farminga. Oh, she's fantastic. She is insane. She's literally insane. I felt like she laid down the foundation. She died. He just So maybe mother was responsible for the other two victims. Possibly. I should see that. Because one of the one of the things I love about this movie is the summation at the end and the psychologist reveals so much. Not for the other much. two victims thinking about now, it's just the other two victims were recent and we don't she know. Died. Oh, okay. We don't know. So that's the one thing I have in my note. I've I've looked at this pretty deeply. We don't know when those victims only that they're outstanding. That's all we know, is that they're missing persons. Mm-hmm. But the idea that he is so taken by Marion Crane in the first moments. And think about, I mean, just, just picture like in today's society, okay? You you go up to a hotel that's completely vacant. Motel. Which, yeah, which Crazy. doesn't happen, right? I mean, how many motels have you been? I've not been to very many motels. I but, have been to a ton. How many are there? 12 cabins, 12 vacancies. I've Never been have to seen some two, with our college those. years. Good right. times. So my point is, the fact that he brings her back into the parlor, makes her sandwiches, which she eats very oddly, uh, they, that created this relationship that I think the mother couldn't handle. I think that's the impetus of the murder, not anything else. Well, prior to that, it, how he invited her up into the house. And she and, was like, no! Yeah, and that's what I was like, dang, this mom is really yelling at her son right so now. So then to push it even further than Sean, I'm mainly asking you, but also other guys, um, if she hadn't agreed to go eat dinner with, with no, there uh, would not have been a murder. You don't think so? What do you guys, Jeremy? What do you think? Yeah, I think it would have been murder because I think it would be lusting over. The thing is, is that right off the bat when he first saw her and everything like that, he was just intrigued by because her. He he spies on her through that hole. Yeah. Does he spy? Well, I mean, he, does he, he spy after the conversation? But I think he was yeah. just intrigued that yeah. there is this person here. It's like this whole like shiny new toy, you know? Like, oh wow, who are you? You know? Well, and if you look at the movie, I mean, I don't keep mean to keep bringing it back to cinematography, but even when he's looking through the hole after the conversation, which is a very intimate conversation, the way he's looking at her is almost, and I, I say this with all, it's not this disgusting, voyeuristic, gross, I'm peering on you. It's almost like better than that it's sexualized it's i'm looking at you because i think you're beautiful not because i just want to see you naked it's it's something bigger and i don't, I don't mean to dismiss no, no. it because it's predatory but <laughs> <laughs> i'm not saying that i'm just saying that the way he does it is it's not like i just want to see you naked it's i want to see you i want to look at you no, i, think I want that, to I think feel you oh a strange kind of uh fascination i think we'd, we'd say it borders on love Absolutely. Lust, at least. No, I because I think lust it deals more with sexuality. And I do think that there's a little bit more, I don't want to say the word sensuality, but I do want to say maybe just straight up love. Now, one thing I do want to mention, 
is that uh, Brian Cox would have been... <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> so Norman Bates was um, innocent. Does anyone else not feel that? He was just like so oh, he... white bread. I mean, he drank yeah. milk. He was very... Yeah. I felt like that scene that, that you guys were just talking about when he was peeking on Janet Lee. I felt loneliness from him. Ooh, okay. I felt like he was... You can tell instantly like he's alone... And he even gave her, like, he peaked a little bit, but it's like, it was almost like, like, he didn't, it was almost like he even cares. Like, oh, I just, I just want to see what she's doing. Well, he like, also said. He, he didn't care if she was dressing or not dressing. He just wanted to see. He so just, less voyeuristic and more, I want a friend. Yep. Yeah. Well, he also mentions how many times, I think two times at least, uh, to her, that nobody, nobody comes to his, his hotel, motel. Now because they, they, they moved the, the main road. The main road, yeah. And so we do see a lot of that, that. That sense of loneliness there, which is weird that she would end up there if it's off the main road. Just saying. Well, no, I mean, it was raining. She got lost. And she, and he remarks that. He oh, actually he does. connects the dots and he says, only people who are lost come and find my hotel. Yeah. So I, I feel like that's 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 forgivable. And I think it's a nod almost to those two other murders. And I, I don't mean to keep harping on this because this is an old movie. Um, but you have to realize the time of this movie. 1960, this shit was revolutionary. The voyeuristic way that the camera felt his eye and the let, this was revolutionary. It was, I think, that he revolutionized it, though, four years earlier when he did Rear Window. And I, I will always stand by Rear Window. I think it's a fantastic movie. I think that it, it, it deals with that voyeuristic quality, um, but I think it does so in a much better way. I think the movie definitely had a amazing couple surprises for you that 1960 wow like so I this never is the that, first time you've I, seen it so it's very important that yeah. you you make this because kim we watched it with kim mm -hmm. uh last year yeah and she didn't know the twist and she was blown away yep. she By didn't the, see it coming i i Wait. saw it coming towards a little bit but did you i did like no I, shit. I saw it coming around the police officer the when oh what the fuck's going on yeah Oh, dude, I thought it was like something moving inside this house, man. Jeez. Uh, yes. That scared the shit out of me. If Sean were to die, we would put him in a Folgers can, and the three of us would march up to Malibu, and we would throw him into the wind so that he gets splattered on Eddie. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Why don't we just go to, to Mammoth and actually just <laughs> That's probably where you do it. What movie is that from? I feel like that's, that's from Lebowski. No. So let me just say, if I die Donnie, tomorrow. Donnie? You are Donnie. Nobody knows this. You are if I Arnold. die tomorrow. Fuck you with Donnie. I am clearly the dude. If <laughs> You I are die, not the dude. Fuck you. <laughs> Who am I? You're, uh, I'm Donnie. Um, he's, he's Hans. Am I the fat guy? No, no, you're I'm you're the nihilist. You're, you're, you're nihilist. The I'm not you're a nihilist. I'm believe in nothing. You're a nihilist. If anything, I'm, Philip, nihilist. I'm Philip Seymour Hoffman. You're a nihilist. You are a Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> I have a feeling. Maude, excuse me. I have a feeling I'm a Donnie. If I die tomorrow, <laughs> I want you guys to take up my ashes to like mammoth and just sprinkle them because I want to be cremated and Eddie. You know, you get my Blu-ray collection because Brandon doesn't appreciate Blu-rays. Does he walk climb there too? You know what? He might. I'll get some sushi too while I'm at it. <laughs> Wait, time out. Why does he get the fucking Blu-ray collection? You already have a collection, Jeremy. I love you, but I've known. Do I get your longer. collection of books of, mine. of books that are mine? Yes. I you say know. good day to you. you <laughs> I say you good day. I read the valley and it bothers me. That's a large collection. It's such a good book. My collection you, you just know, got a lot better. I promise you would actually like it. I gave Eddie my movies a long time ago. No, 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 no. I say good day. It's actually it's, in my will. Do you know that? Somebody's a little bit better. Welcome to what another you, edition wait, of Three and a Half Gentlemen, the I podcast have. where three of the four hosts. Oh, your double sevens. I provide a refined and intellectual analysis <laughs> of movies from our private collections. All right, and let's the, get back to Psycho, and we're finally at the most incredible scene in the movie, which is the shower. Way scene. earlier than I was expecting. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> way overrated. So you, no, it's actually not overrated. I take that back. That's like the best scene in the movie. It was revolutionary, and I do tip my so hat to that. A couple of things that I want to point out is is uh, God dang it. I'm going to call him Spielberg all night. Hitchcock. Hitchcock's complete detail. Is it, Hitchcock, is it Hitchcock or Hitchcock? Hitch, Hitch, Hitchcock. Okay. Dude's got a cock. And his <laughs> attention to detail in this scene. So it took a week to, to, to shoot this scene. You had a close-up on her mouth. You had a close-up on her hand. You had a close. There was such depth to this short scene. I bet it only lasted, I'm going to go ahead and say... 45 seconds. Yeah, I was going to say a minute. So 45 seconds is probably exactly what it was. 77 shots 
in 45 seconds. Do you know why? Seven shots. Do you know why? Why? Do you guys know why? No. You don't know why? No. He didn't like the stream. And you know what he did to change, to make this happen? Well, the rumor is that he turned on the cold water. He did. What a dick. He turned on the cold water the last time and he didn't tell her. Fucking was. She's surprised. She's just, Fuck! So one of the things about the movie that I think he is called, revolutionary, I mean, obviously, the fact that she died on screen in this violent manner was revolutionary. But the way that she died, the way that she acted was almost genuine. It was like surprised, She was upset, surprised it was cold. Like, just... It, yeah, it, she was probably cold. <laughs> but just... It was just... The shock was genuine. I felt for her. I did. I loved... I mean, I hate to say it, I love the dying scene, but technically I love the way that he shot the dying scene, the, the blood running, running down to the drain. But to me, there's no better shot than her dead face against the floor. And, and I, that, I, their eye. Yeah. And to me, that was that alone made the movie in a lot of ways. It saved the movie. Because part of the scene I thought was really bad. When they showed yeah. Norman dressed his mother stabbing, I was like, mm, that doesn't hold up. Nope. That doesn't do good. But then when you go to her, it's freaking brutal and genuine and beautiful at the same time. Because I, it's almost like they show enough of her body to know that she's naked, but not so much that you get ideas. Yeah, you, you're right. Mother being there, dressed up, Norman, uh, being there completely takes away from it. Because this whole like reaching back and stabbing, it doesn't make sense. It was needed to show simply that mother was the one that killed her. Um, so I, after the shower scene, I just think the series of the shower scene, the shower, the shower scene is sure. like Sean Connery. <laughs> Fuck, you fucked me up on that one, dude. You fucking shit. <laughs> I just wanted to say, like the shower scene. Seriously, it's probably one of the most hardcore scenes of all time and shit like that. Like the last shot of her eye. You literally see like the flicker of life leave her body and shit. I've never seen anything like that. I haven't seen I've seen a lot of horror movies. That is still one of the most hardcore scenes of just watching that. You also feel a compulsion from either Mother or Norman. It, it's almost like he had to do it. He couldn't stop himself from doing it. Well, you and see, I think she did because I mean, when he runs down from the house screaming, "Oh, Mother, Mother, what you know? Basically, what have you done?" I mean, number one, yeah, that redirects us away from the fact that Norman's actually a killer. But we see this, the, the emotion and the sincerity, and whether it's, it's lust or it's love or it's just something in between, we see this kind of connection that he has to her and this just freak out that he has, which I think is just fantastic. I think it's so necessary because it gives us a whole lot of uh, information about him that we wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Yeah, that, that is great. Because during that scene, I'm going to go a little break it back to, back to the shower scene. Uh, I was like, wow. Mother's really tall. I don't know why I just thought oh, that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you started to see the cracks in the story before. Yeah, the story. I, I, yeah. So it blew Kim away. Like she did not see it coming. Like, I, I, <laughs> I, that's why I instantly like, I saw it. I still believed like, okay, it's still mother. But I was like, wow, like she was tall. I can so, imagine like the first time you've seen this, that like, you know, you're just like, what is happening? And that yeah. like, you're somehow some way I'll, that you're hoping that Marion is going to come yes, out of this thing. I was. No, that's exactly how I felt. So I was just like, blink, Marion, blink. Like so, what? Just where are you alive? No. One of the things that I loved about it is when they pulled back off of Marion's eyes so after she had actually expired. It was this handheld jerky camera in the way that handheld jerky cameras should be. Uh, in that it sure. went, it went from her to the money, her downfall, out the window, up to the house, and that's when we got Norman coming back, thinking. Oh my God, mother, what did you do? And it, all of a sudden it was just this like, it was a different character who came down to realize that mother had killed Marion Crane. Did anyone get that kind of like that weird feeling? Like, you know, when you watch him like hover up the body, putting everything away, like, you know, you're just like, kind of like, whoa. I mean, you're scared. You're worried about like, you know, his situation, you know? Well, I think that when he's being questioned by Arbogast, Oof. the detective, yeah, I was on, on Norman's side. I wanted him to just stop being so terrible at lying, <laughs> you know, just and in that sense, shut up, Norman, like shut up. It's almost like you're rooting, you're rooting so for one him. of the yeah. things about this movie. It's like, okay, so Marion Crane was not a good person. No, not a bit. She was a, a, a theft, a thief. She, she stole forty thousand dollars. She's cheating on with a, Norman. A but wife. you got to remember that she was actually, you know, she kind of realized her error of her way. So the no, she's psychotic. No, she realized that she messed up. Is that you can go ahead and. 
search a route for Norman because she's not a good person. True. That's, that's but, my point. Um, but my point is, like, you see her actually just she realize that she messed up. She turned the corner. She went to the shower. She was washing her sins away, going to change everything and whatnot. And then, you know, you know, she bought, you know, took the knife. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she took the knife. Why she, would you? Why would you not just go? You're 15 minutes away. Why didn't you just go home? Yeah, why didn't you? Well, 15 miles. 15 miles. Yeah, I'm pretty away. sure she thought about that. Being like, shit. So I love the close-up like- shots. I love the detail. It's just Norman, I felt like at, when he was, it looked like he did it before. See, that was my question. So I actually have in my notes. Like, he does, cleaned up. Like, has he done that before? Because the way he reacted was that this is the first time he's seen a body. He was like disgusted. He put his hand over his mouth. He was very, oh my God. Or was this, oh my God, this happened again. Right. That's that's the question. Yeah. Has he done this before? Because if he has done this before, he's a god awful liar. He can clean. How did he get away with it? Right, he's been getting away for a long time. No one, with no one. With no well, so the question is how no many, one comes how many little blondes has he killed? That's a tough. Yeah. One. The problem is the only reason someone came looking is because of the money. Mm-hmm. So realistically, if the money wasn't there, it, no one would have came looking for her which at that us, hotel. Which brings us to the detective Arbogast, which yes. is like my favorite character in this whole fucking movie. So one of the things about Arbogast that I like and one of the things that I don't like is his his voice and his persistence. He's a good cop, a good yeah, investigator. He's a private, he's a private investigator. He's a good investigator, but he's a bully. But and to me, Norman, that's a cliche of most the private investigator yeah. detective. Yeah. Right. But Norman Bates is like this little innocent super nice guy which well i mean he's clearly not because he's a serial killer but he he appears to be the super nice guy that can't remember who came into his hotel could you remember shit like that well if that's my job and literally nobody comes in except somebody came in yesterday even though i just said hey nobody's coming in weeks i think that that's i can I tell could've. you right now that witness testimony is the most unreliable form of evidence in it, a court of law. i'm just saying oh wow okay instantly <laughs> Norman had two routes to go with, and he was trying to hide it instantly, right? He was trying to like, oh, I no. don't know why she he even admitted that she wasn't there. Like, I would have just embraced it. Yeah, she, yes. she was here. She left. Exactly. Because he got timid, actually. And when he gets timid or he gets some type of a different reaction, someone, he freaks out wherever like the mother comes out to help the son out. That's what happens. Well, we could also look at this a lot more psychologically and deeper in the sense of this is how he reacts to men. Right, because everybody who's died Ooh, like is, a, is a woman. I really like that. Um, and the only other mention of a man that Norman Bates has ever come across is a stepdad, and it's hinted at several times that he killed his stepdad. Yeah. I don't and I'm mean, not trying to bring I, in, I, da- in Bates, but, no, but also I, I Sam, don't, and he I don't had a problem with Sam. Around to Anthony Perkins, either. Yeah. And I think that there's an element of this shadowy, hidden figure that's controlled by his mother that it, it kind of speaks truth to truth to the movie right so mm-hmm. i think yeah. part of it is the fact that he was exploring his sexuality and that he might have been a little bit confined about his sexuality because every time he fell in love with a woman his mother would kill him yeah. like so one of my few criticisms about this movie is that it took so long for everyone to act so marion crane is gone the money is gone uh what's the Abergast. Abergast, yeah. Abergast is the only one who's doing the investigating. The cops won't do shit. It's like, how do you create a situation where Sam Loomis and the sister of Marion Crane have to go in and actually figure out what happened? Like that just is not realistic to me. It's just it's just kind of I think they were trying to actually like not let the law actually get involved with it because they were trying to actually, you know, save like her protect Marion. Yeah. Because she but and and there is something to say that she did and Fabergas made that phone call back, like, "Hey, right? Is it Fabergas? Fabergas? Faber? <laughs> it's a weird last name." <laughs> well, Fabergas made a phone call to the sister, right? Yeah, right. Can't give a heads up. Hey, like, he—that's kind of cool that he actually did that. Because overall, he wasn't working for her. Right. He was working for the money. He was working, I believe, for the guy who lost the forty grand. Exactly. Yes. And he goes back to the house, the hotel, and whatnot, which is probably my favorite scene in the movie, where he actually goes up. Into the house. Oh, the stairs. And he scene? goes up the stairs. It's like one of the best intense and... shots. Well, that's actually before that scene is where I decided, where, where I found out, I was like, I know why he doesn't want him to go up because there is no mom. I, at first, I was thinking. That's where you kind of started. That's where, yeah. The armor I, started to crack. And I was thinking in my head, mom, he's going to find mom laying in the bed dead. Like, that's why. Well, I it started was, making you wonder whether she. I knew she was dead, and I had a feeling like she's just like been on the bed that's like covered up for like creepy yeah so one of the things that i loved about the scene where he's 
going up the stairs where Arbogast Ar- mm-hmm. is going up the stairs is the way the camera pans back. The so, door. and this is just me looking at this movie. This is a gorgeous fucking house. This is a, a, one of the most beautiful houses I've ever seen. And the camera is panning back into a situation where it's going almost where it's bird's eye view or on top of all the actors because it wants to show this integration or intersection of bedrooms at the landing. So yeah, you exactly. go up the stairs, you have a landing. And what I love is the camera kind of comes up. And then it goes right back down as he's getting stabbed and falling down the stairs. I think that just cinematographically. Cinematographically. Is it kind of like the movie Signs? I haven't. I don't know. I don't know. It's it such a good movie. It was a good movie. We should do that one. But my point is, is it, the camera goes up and then it goes right back down. And the way it goes down is almost in the same track that it went up. So you've got this like. I don't know. I like a planned out shot. I like to. I like that the director is capturing. One of the things that I, I criticize criticize about a bunch of movies is the way that the camera seems to always be catching up to the action on the screen. I want the camera to pre-plan the action on the screen and know where where it needs to be to find the action. Right. So for me, the uh, his death scene, like literally, I, I love the the suspense of him going up. But then when we have that that Hitchcockian, it is so Hitchcockian. Vertigo was really the one where we see it a ton. (laughs) It goes too long. Uh, I mean, uh, I mentioned before that I like realism in in a movie. And when I look at that, nobody falls downstairs like that, right? They tumble. I will will, will, will contradict you, sir. There is an episode of Psych where they (laughs) break. I'm not gonna be like dick like that overall, but have you got stabbed in the face and fallen downstairs like that? <laughs> you know what? Maybe I did. <laughs> so the Brandon, two, I can two tell show. you right now, you've not been stabbed in the Hashtag face. Hashtag two years Hashtag ago. Hashtag have you seen ago. my face? You <laughs> wouldn't know. No, but I think that was a kind of a quintessential Hitchcock moment. It was a Hitchcockian, and I know that that's not always beneficial to the audience of today. But in 1960, it was fucking incredible. The, him falling down the stairs was an incredible Let's put this scene. way. I saw this movie seriously at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery like about a month ago. And we were all watching it. We all camped out. You know, uh, If people don't know what that is, it's what all the cool people are doing these days. It's like they go to these parks and watch these movies and everything like that. I've never done it that. It's kind of ridiculous, but funny at the same time. <laughs> I've never been there. However, uh, when that scene came on uh, on the wall and the screen and everything, seriously, like everyone jumped. It was like such a great scene. It still holds up to this day. Like Wait, it was like the coolest thing to watch that. Aberjas got stabbed. Yeah. yeah. So seriously. Like you see people just jump cause they were not expecting cause the music comes on right, like right bam, in the minute. Bam, bam. Yeah. But it comes on after you, you see her emerge. That's the best well, part. The, the crazy thing is when that door opens, I thought Fabregas is already, Aberjas is already upstairs opening up the door. So I thought it was him. And I was like, wait, it's not him. Somebody's so, running out. And you seeing it for the first time, were you surprised that he got killed? I mean, were you surprised they just fucking murdered him in the middle I of the I thought he was going to be see. At first, I thought he was going to see the body. And then I thought, like, you're going to see Norman, like, also, like, they're taking care of the body or something like that. That's what I was expecting. And then I was like, oh, nope, that's Norman. So then you go, after after you have Abergast's death, you've got kind of um, J- Loomis and Sam Loomis and, and the, the sister. sister going out to see what happened to sister. What did he do with the body? Abergast's body. Um, my guess is... is he, he put it the, uh, probably in, in the swamp the, the tar pits. Yeah, the, the, the swamp yeah. probably, yeah. yeah. That's where all the bodies were like pretty much ended in the end. Right. So um, what I loved about this sequence of events is you had Sam kind of holding Norman captive in the room. And then you had um, the sister in the house checking things out, right? Yeah. I mean, that's basically what you had. Yeah. And this house, I, I cannot talk about this house enough because I don't think you can think of The Shining without the hotel. You can't think of Psycho without this house. I was talking to Brandon like, earlier, like, this there's so much elements where Stanley took from this movie Psycho and put it into The Shining, the suspense, the tension Oh, of the yeah. film, especially the, the build, le- the I build mean, up, you know, when she's walking to the house, you know, and you see her actually, you know, going upstairs. You see Norman coming up, you know, after he gets away from uh, Sam Loomis and everything. And you see her like trying to leave. But then she goes down to the basement. But we did it a couple of weeks ago. And I- all I can think about is that this house is what they were trying to get at. It's the same creepy ass night 1800s house that. 
you know, it's broken like down, others, down. Just broken down, beaten down. You don't know what's in it. And if great, you look great setting, great setting. I mean, yeah. great setting. I mean, we're, we're sitting in a house that's a hundred years old. It's it's there's history in the walls. Even if you don't feel it, Oh, when I you feel walk it. in, I feel it. It's <laughs> here. Like there's history in the walls. And so I think that had a huge impact on the, the climax of this film. So brother, let me talk to you about this. This is your first time seeing this, right? Yes. When she's actually like going down to the basement, what was your thought? Well, at first I was like, originally I was just like, mother's not in the house because the top just went through the whole house and checked it. I was like, where are you going, woman? Like, yeah, the house. Like, obviously mother's somewhere in the car or somewhere, like one of the rooms and the 12 different rooms are open. <laughs> like, mother's there. The vacancy. The vacancy. The <laughs> 12 rooms here, 12 rooms open. It's like, one of those rooms, it's open those ones up. And so I was like, oh, there's a downstairs, which makes me think that the sheriff is a horrible looker in through the house. <laughs> Like <laughs> he's bad at his job, just like every other movie yeah. we reviewed. But over, yeah, you know, he gave a half-ass job, really trying to find <laughs> stuff. But I was just like, ah, she's close. She's yeah. gonna find it. She's but was that shocking when you turned around? And it was a dead body. It was shocking that she was still dressed in like her clothes and the hair. I was expecting to see just like just a skeleton. You know, I was expecting to see fully dressed up clothed with a nice little chain and like the hair all done up still. It was weird. It was just like, and then when he came in behind her, I that, mean, she had taken the time to put her dress on, put her wig on, you can tell knife. Yeah, like instantly you saw that he was, or she mother and him, Norman came in the panic of like, don't touch mother. Like it was like, Oh, oh my God. Like his reality. I hate that scene. too. His reality was crashing real fast. Like, do you know what she says? Like, ah, I'm Norman Bates. I fucking hate that scene. That scene's so creepy to me. So one thing that I uh, noticed and uh, want to get your thoughts on is what do you think is up with all the bird references? Now, well, the birds is the, the birds. next film. Yeah. Wait, everyone, that moment. But that's it. <laughs> like, literally. Are you talking about in the room? Yeah, there's so many birds. Oh, like, the taxidermy I birds. I mean, I know that the birds was his next movie. That's what I was going to say. But do you think there's more to it than that? That he yeah, feels... You know, I think I think that birds are... So simple as freedom and he's not free. Right. So that's, that's kind of what I was thinking is all these references to birds is a cage. He's in a cage with his mother. He's going to break free and get out. And that's kind of the question is, would Norman Bates be okay if he just got rid of his fucking mother? I don't think he can ever get rid of his fucking mother. Yeah. I mean, that's the the line, the the famous line, right? Is uh, Uh, the boy's best best friend friend is his mother. Well, or we, we all just go crazy, or we, we all go, go crazy, a little mad sometimes. A little mad sometimes. Yeah, um, and I think that yeah, those two quotes kind of answer that point of no, he he can't break free. There is no disassociating himself from her anymore. So, and that's the question: is 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 will he ever be free of mother? There's feel- like four psychos, so no. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen any of those. Yeah, I, never, I didn't know that, but I was thinking actually at the time at the very end of the movie when after the scene was said, oh the you know this the who is it? He was a psychologist or. Yeah. Uh, to me, this is the best part of the movie. Was the summation that was cool? That was really cool to see what yeah. he, he broke down Norman a little and he bit. He broke down Norman into the, like he, okay, so he was Norman's not there anymore. Enveloped the by there. his mother. Yeah, and even in the last like scenes of the movie, you saw this. I'm not even gonna hurt this fly because they don't want me to. You know, they think I'm this evil person that I have this fly on my hand and I, I'm not even gonna ruin it. That whole persona was set up by the psychiatrist or psychologist, whatever you. I don't know if he could prescribe or not. Um, the idea was that he gave the summation about what Norman was. Norman was essentially always 50% his mother, maybe 50% Norman. And it was a battle. And then at the end, he lost the battle. <laughs> mother took over. Mother was you, you 100%. Think that? Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. You don't see that last part in the clip when he's like smirking, like that looking at the camera. That smile is well, so think about feminine. You see like a glimpse of the mother's skeleton. Because it's actually the mother skeleton, the skull, and actually like flicker, like when he's smiling. Yeah. And think about in. this. So this is I, I know that it's he didn't win because he was in cap. He was captured. He won. The fucking villain got away in this movie. Plant that in your mind. Is it okay? So he was arrested, but mother was still there. Norman was barely there, if any. The villain won. You didn't know what happened. You don't like the villains, I thought. I don't. 
but it was intriguing. I believe this is an anti-hero. It, it, it's not an anti-hero. Oh, yeah. Whoa, Don't yes, start that thank you. And that brings us to the end of review. Now it's time in the podcast where each of the hosts provides their score on our scale of zero to five. Eddie, can you take us through our scale, please? Hold on, hold on. We're, oh, here it is. Okay. Zero, the perfect movie. You don't need shit to enjoy it. One, a feel-good first you cocktail. You read this every week. You can't have memorized. I'm talking. This is my time to talk. He's, he's edited. This is my time to talk. I'm sorry. Okay? You had like five refills already. <laughs> <laughs> so zero, the perfect movie. You don't need shit to enjoy it. One, a feel-good first cocktail. Two, a happy buzz. Three, are you going to Uber or lifting home? Four, it's a rough morning walk of shame. Five, you black out, shit face, spring break drunk. Woo! Gentlemen, let's start with Brandon. All right, so Psycho is not a movie that I am uh, fresh to. I've seen this one a couple times. Um, I have never enjoyed it to the point where I really, really like it. And so um, I tried, 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 tried to just kind of keep my mind open. And I, I did appreciate it more this time than I have in the past. Uh, my problem with this movie is that, uh, like so many other movies, it doesn't live up to the hype. It just doesn't live up to the hype. I get that it definitely sets kind of the groundwork for a lot of things to come, but I think that there are other movies that do it better, and I think that uh, in, in the long run, yeah, we have the cool, crazy twist, and we have um, you know the, the fact that the main character dies 47 minutes into the movie, but really, it's just kind of an extra little... Uh, Thing that just makes the movie um, distract from the actual quality of the story. I thought that Anthony Perkins is absolutely brilliant. I think that uh, similar to what I said weeks and months ago of, about Tombstone uh, is that as, a, as an actor, I believed him. He's innocent. He's, he's wonderful in it. But he's not enough to save this movie. And so for that, I say that I am uh, going to go ahead and get on my app right now. I'm going to find an Uber. I'm going to lift home. But before I do that, I'm going to take just another shot. So I'm giving this three and a half drinks. And so, Jeremy, I want to throw this over to you and see what you have to say about this one. Like I said earlier, this is the grandpapa of slasher films when you think about it. <laughs> grandpapa. It changed how we watch scary movies forever. I mean, shit, it changed cinema, period, you know? It's a trailblazer of just merging horror style, uh, just uh, suspense. It brought a different light to sexuality and culture, you know? I think it's beautifully directed, film, written, acted. Uh, I think it still holds up to this day. And just being at that place and watching like 2,000 of us people watch this movie, that says a lot right there, you know? For me, um, it's a feel-good cocktail, seriously, with a shot. It was a shot? Yeah. I believe he said 1.5, Sean. <laughs> no, no. Damn it's it! A 1.5. It's a 1.5. I appreciate the one and a half. Go for it, Ed. Okay, so coming into this movie, I've never watched it before. It was a true uh, experience that I really enjoyed, and I really could see how this is the grandfather of scary movies. Like, when you type in greatest scary movies of all time, it's up there on, on Google. Like, it is there. Like, and, and on top of the list, like, it's there. Alfred over here, Hitch, Hitchcock, uh, definitely, <laughs> he definitely uh, shot the ball, shot this bar really high. You know, because I think it was hard for him to follow up. I don't like his other movies. Alfred Hitchcock, he actually, he was able to bring me joy to watching this film like the music was great the i love the black and white i, I thought i was gonna hate that um i really enjoyed it. I, I don't really watch many black and white films anymore and i was kind of surprised i enjoyed this movie the the relationship between his mom and uh norman bates was scary man like it was cool seeing a a, a thriller and the, they had the spin and thinking like oh my god mom's been dead this whole time and He's been actually living two lives. He's a psychopath. And then thinking mm -hmm. uh, how Janet, she died like not even an hour into the movie. Like she died halfway. So it was, it was an interesting uh, spin how they had this. How they, how, I was interested to see how they were going to continue with the movie. And they did pretty well. Um, I, unfortunately, also found some... Sorry, Sean. You're looking at me really... There was some dead spots in the movie that I felt like it was. I was trying to... Uh, I, I could have not really uh, watched and I would have been fine. So uh, because of that, I'm actually going to give it a two, a, a two-drink minimum. Uh, you guys are so nice. <laughs> actually, let me take that back. No, no. Let's <laughs> fucking keep your two, bro. I'm going to take that back, actually, because I'm looking at what I gave my previous couple movies ago. 
I'm gonna give it one point five. That's even better. Because I was thinking, I gave recently a couple other movies a two, and I was like, I think this movie actually is better than those movies. All right. So I'm gonna give it one point five. Oh yeah, you you changed your whole subject there with your attitude, Bullshit. didn't you? Bullshit. So for me, Psycho changed horror genre in a fundamental way, uh, kind of the same way Star Wars changed space or Lord of the Rings changed fantasy. Before Psycho, horror movies were centered on monsters that filled the screen, that battle, uh, the, the heroes battled supernatural creatures. There was so much outside the realm of humanity. Psycho revolutionized uh, it all in two hours. I mean, honestly. In a horror flick, the monster, in this horror flick, the monster was in man himself. It was about the sickness. To quote Dexter, it was about the dark passenger that lived inside the head of one man. And Norman Bates was the perfect vessel, a pathetic mama's boy. Hitchcock's genius gives the audience a new thing to fear. Fear itself. It wasn't big. It wasn't easy to spot. The monster wasn't <laughs> didn't have a red balloon. But rather, it was the danger hiding within every single human being. And you don't know if it's your mailman or if it's someone you know personally. It's this idea that hiding within all mankind is the concept of a serial killer. And so to me, this movie was groundbreaking. It was cinematographically beautiful. It was the perfect movie. And I didn't need you to enjoy it. And it is my perfect zero. I've never given a zero. Wow. I would not agree with you, but I respect you. <laughs> it He's is a zero. a zero. Eddie, when we take those uh, numbers and divide them by four, what do we have? We have shit is what we have. No, we have a <laughs> wonderful score. We have a whopping 1.625. Wait, where is that? Nope, put us that's on not the okay. Sheet. What does that put us on the list? Where, where does that put us? One point six two five. Let me try to do the math right here. No, no. Let's 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 recalculate okay, because I want to make night. sure we're yeah, right 1. on 6, this. One point six two five. This is between Big Fish and American Pie. It's in the so top. It, how, it's, it's in the it, top it took five. over number five. Oh, so it's, it's number five. five. So it's in the top five, five. movies on our it, list. It's, it's it passed American Pie. So I think Which, it passed American Pie, one of the greatest movies in cinematic <laughs> history. First of all, if you're going to compare, dare you? Yeah, you're wrong. I am not. So uh, I think that I like it, our top five. I feel like lie. it. I feel like it's in the right spot. I feel like it's a, it is. It's a good top five, yo. It's I a feel like it should top be five. top ten. I don't feel like it should be top five. Well, I'm feeling like top number ten over time. Yeah. <laughs> There's some truth to that. I mean, there's the reality. I can't find my ratings list. I have no idea where I am. Oh, we're drunk. Okay. All right. If you enjoyed, wait. If you enjoyed, if you enjoyed the podcast, stop. I got it. (laughs) All right. If you enjoyed, all right. If you enjoy, um. all right. If you enjoyed the review or a fan of the podcast, we ask that you please subscribe wherever you're listening. And this is very important. Go to iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. If you don't think we're a five-star rating, lie and say we're a five-star rating anyway. You need to write a physical review on iTunes. That's very important. We need to grow that number as high as we possibly can. So, uh... Please uh, do as much as you can. If you're interested, you can find us on Instagram at the dot gentleman podcast or visit our website at the or reach out to us by email and tell us what we're doing right or wrong at hosts at the gentleman Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We'll be back. And uh, enjoy your Halloween. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Hey, but before we click, guys, uh, clink, Brandon. It's been delightful again. It's been a pleasure to be back here. I'm glad. Cheers, gentlemen. I think that's our best one yet. (laughs) You are drunk, Sean. I am so drunk. Was it that bad?